Well, hello, I'm Meredith. And I'm Kristen. And we'd like to welcome you to the writer's story. Yeah, it's October. Um, although there's no trick-or-treating this year, everyone seems to be um, making up for it in decorations in my neighborhood. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. And we're all making up for it in masks. We're, we're wearing masks all the time now. That's right. That's right. And um, and I and I heard a new, a new phenomenon the other day. It said um, Zoom costumes. Because really, we're not all going to be at parties, so you have to have a costume that looks good on Zoom. So I'm guessing shoulders on up. <laughs> I'm thinking the same thing. Yeah, so I can still wear my plaid flannel pajama bottoms. Exactly, and you can, and you can... the sexy kitten up top. Yeah, stay warm, stay inside, but stay sexy or whatever. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, um, well, I have sort of dismal uh, revising news to report because I'm in a house where my kitchen has been ripped apart for only good reasons, but I have to say it's incredibly distracting. (laughs) So Meredith, tell us where you are with that. Oh, yes, yes. I have an empty box where there once was a kitchen. And yes, first we had to pack everything up. Then everything got ripped out. Then water got moved. Now we're waiting for electric. It'll be an odyssey. Hopefully the next time we get together in mid-November, I will have a kitchen again. That is my hope and dream and prayer. Yeah. And soon I'll get used to just, you know, washing our dishes in the creek. <laughs> <laughs> we, we keep going, it could be worse. It could be worse. Exactly. Oh. We still have sinks. I remember when we renovated our house, we did not have sinks for a while. So, um, yeah, that's incredibly distracting. So I'm revising. I got, of course, a wonderful idea for a thriller, and I and I let myself go off on that distraction train for, for a minute or two, but back-focused again, and I will get back to it and finish. But you've had lots of exciting news. Your book will be, your, your new book will be out in January? February. February. Yeah. February. That's the plan, and it appears to be all on schedule. Um, yeah, this is the a most peculiar book, how the Bible's a lot weirder than most people think it is. <laughs> the inherent strangeness of the Bible is the subtitle for it. And yes, it has been gotten into some reviewers' hands and um, got a starred review from Publishers Weekly. So that was That crazy. is tremendous. That is so exciting. Thank you. Thanks. Um, you know how it is. These reviews are kind of a nail-biting thing. I tend to just ostrich head in sand, go on with other things because it's out of my control. And my husband is the one who reads the reviews, and then he can tell me snippets if I need to know them. <laughs> I think that he should. I think Craig should read them, and then he should tell you if they're good. That's and yeah. if anyone has any grumpy things to say, it's really too late. The book is done, and exactly. and. It- and and they're probably just grumpy because um, all their all their travel plans have been canceled. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to have other things to focus on because I um, yeah I would rather be thinking about the next project and be into it than be um, wringing my hands over the would have and could have and should have. Oh, also the whole thing of of how much value we put on a random stranger on Amazon and like how <laughs> much 
angst people have and then they'll go on social media and they'll just be like oh my god this person gave me one star because the book didn't arrive on time you know don't they realize and then they agonize and I just think oh my gosh uh you're gonna get an ulcer you're gonna get an ulcer it's not worth it um and you've had some exciting other book news so an agent has picked up and is super excited about the historical fiction set in the ancient world this what I call the Babylon novel the title working title is Howl of the Golden Jackal and it's about the woman who um, becomes Cyrus the Great's second wife she's married to him when he conquers Babylon and lets the Jews releases the exiles including the Jews there um, from their bondage so to speak in Babylon though it's not I shouldn't say bondage because it wasn't but an exile exilic situation and returns them to Judah but she but this story doesn't have anything to do with that <laughs> that's like the next book but um, in this story she is a young woman who is um, married to Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon who uh, had a reputation for building a lot and she comes from the what is now northern Iran and was a really really beautiful is still I think a really really beautiful wild um, mountainous region that has was rich in natural resources and and the Babylonian Empire uh, building as much as they were wanted and needed more of those resources so I think she engages in this um, well it's a it's a story that for which I've taken quite a few license licenses um, in telling, though it depends on tons of research. But anyway, she is just a really fascinating character to me. So it was really exciting to find this agent who shared that excitement. Um, he's just so thrilled about it. And well, that is such a good reminder, though, Kristen. I think that a lot of people will go out and pitch a book to a couple agents who maybe don't get it or they're not the right fit. And instead instead of saying, oh, I'm just looking for the one that is, they kind of go, oh, I guess it doesn't work. And they give up, you know, and I think it's really important. Um, I know you've gone back to it and uh, rethought it and, and taken different approaches, which I'm sure has enriched the project in the end. But um, it, I think it was. It was just waiting for that person who got it, you know, who thought, yeah, this is a book I want to read. This is a book I think other people want to read. Yeah, we. I hope. I hope it can get go further along. But we celebrate each of these steps, right? And, yeah, it is nice to yeah. have someone so excited about it. And, yes, as you said, it's, it's a book that has gone through so many permutations. I've set it aside over years, set it aside, kind of abandoned it, and and then come back to it and rethought it and then abandoned it again. And, <laughs> So maybe maybe it'll it'll finally get somewhere other than my desktop. Um, well, anyway, um, I mean, I also but I also like to think a little bit about. I mean, I'm not um, I'm not telling I'm not telling this agent that he's 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 very smart because but I'm sure he is. But um, I think that you could think about it also as you have a bit of a platform for this subject matter as well, which we don't normally think about with fiction, but because of all your research and your nonfiction books. That's right. Yes. You're not, 
even if you're taking some liberties, which I'm sure you're going to confess to in your foreword about what we don't know or what you might have had to compress or if you've compressed, if you've combined two people because, geez, there was a lot of people or whatever, you'll probably confess to that, but that you have done that research and that you speak with some authority about that time period. I think that's, I think that's, um, I think it's huge. Thanks. Yeah, Yeah, that's part of what makes it so exciting for me to find that someone out there in the general world, book interest, an entertainment interest, um, is excited about this project. Because for me, part of the writing of it was a way simply of recording what all of what I was learning and imagining could have been given all that I was learning, given all that I had known. And yeah, this is related to all the work that's my my doctorate so this is my phd related work so yeah tons and tons and tons of research and i was making these uh, associations connections and imagining possibilities that i didn't have any that hadn't been written down anywhere else and so i thought if for nothing else, and also it was firing up my imagination, I needed to write them for myself to keep track of this, keep track of the ideas of possibility for the historical context and the implications. I'd never thought before about how, what a huge role this person, this woman um, had in, um, honestly, in like our in the, the development of Western civilization as it is associated with um, the empires of um, Persia, Babylonia, and then the development of the Bible. This woman may well have had a huge part to play in the fact that we have a Bible. So that's fascinating to me. And, and I think, you know, you're fascinated. I think you're, this agent is fascinating. I think other people will be fascinated too. So I think, Thank you, I think it's super, I, I don't know. I think it's super exciting. And I, I just feel like I would, I applaud you also for your patience and persistence, because I think that's really part of the thing. You have to hang in there and Thank believe you. in your projects. You have been a great um, support and encouragement along the way. Thank you. Thank you. Right back at you. (laughs) Well, um, speaking of encouragement and friends, writing friends, I'm super excited today that we um, have my friend Ed coming today to chat with us. He is super, super involved in the mystery community. He served on boards. Um, He's um, you know, edited a column for um, thriller writers, and he organizes um, the Washington, D.C. Noir at the Bar events, which recently had to go on Zoom, and he did just a wonderful job with that, with a, um, with a bartender doing drinks on Zoom, and a musician playing in between, and is so supportive of, of all these different artists and bartenders as artists. And um, so I am so excited. He has a new thriller coming out. It's called They're Gone from Crooked Lane. It's coming out in November, and he is using a pseudonym for it, which I'm going to pronounce as E.A. Barris, and I'm hoping he's going to tell me how to pronounce his pseudonym. So we have so much to talk with him about. I'd love to talk to him about, you know, switching publishers, 
changing your name to a pseudonym, um, and then also balancing your writing life with volunteering, working, parenting, and all the things going on with him, and, and, and how he does it, and then also to find out more about his writing story. So let's go give him a call. All right. Hey, Ed. Great. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. No, it's great to be here. We get to see you on Zoom. I'm sad that, um, you know, with the podcast, nobody gets to see you, but we're all with our pandemic outfits and hair and <laughs> I'm, I'm sad for everybody that they don't get to see me as well yeah well nor but at the I, bar you do visuals <laughs> yeah i mean no i look uh, i look terrible right now so <laughs> it's oh, good not thing. true not true and the um, speaker george yeah. mason yes Go yes yes patriots Yes, and you're in front of a wall of books, so you might as well be on Masterpiece Theater as far as I'm concerned. This is a green screen. <laughs> this is a green screen. I, I don't really read. You, you, know, you only have one book. You only have one book. Well, I just have mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to remember how long I know, I've known you, Ed, and I feel like it's hard in the mystery community because you kind of know about people and then you, then by the time you meet them, you feel like you've known them forever. So I don't know. Um, I do know that either I met you at BoucherCon or you invited me to join Nora at the bar. I think that's what it was. I think I invited you to the first Nora at the bar we had. And I may have, I think, so at that point, I really didn't know a lot of people, but Nick Corpon, who had runs the north the bars up in baltimore i think he may have recommended you and i knew you through or i knew of you through the st martin's contest okay and for Um, those of us who don't know what noir at the bar is at all please what is noir at the bar oh yeah well the name's a little misleading because it sounds like an event that's held at the bar it's actually an orgy and we hold them at sheraton's (laughs) No, it's a uh, series of readings that we do at a uh, at at a bar. Every city kind of has one at this point. They're nothing; it's not official or anything, but they just grew in popularity. And usually, six to ten writers get together at a bar, and you have a private room there, and you read uh, you read short stories um, to so a crowd. It's, it's, it's really fun because so so many readings are so staid and kind of conservative and in, in manner, and this is the opposite. What yeah, and um, and you do a really wonderful job, and I think it was right from the start of involving musicians. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, I've worked for years with my readings um, with um, a jazz musician, Sarah Jones, and now she. Uh, after the pandemic we move these events virtually and she will uh provide usually one or two musical excerpts per evening and it's really nice i didn't know how that would work but um sarah's a pro and she's performed for years and she's really natural and it, it's you know most people aren't we're not hearing live music now so that it, it's uh it, it's for me and i think for a lot of the readers who have reached out to me and, and viewers it's it's almost emotional you know yeah. to get to hear that again yeah and when um i was on because i did a virtual um nor at the bar which was also fun seven hours less driving time for me um, and and 
um, and I, I just think it was so lovely. We were getting a little peek in her house, and her husband was also playing with her. And that was just, that was a really sweet. Well, um, I just want to have you, Ed, talk a little bit about your writing journey. So, like, when did you know you wanted to be a writer? Did you then go through a bunch of other careers denying being a writer or the whole time you were writing? Um, tell us about your your story. So I, I, you know, always kind of like a lot of writers, you know, you have the teachers who tell you you should consider it and you, you read a lot growing up and you're a little uh, lonely. And um, so reading and writing were always kind of natural to me. And I entered college as a psychology major. And then after two years, I promptly failed out. And the college agreed to let me back. Oh, go Mason. The college agreed to let me back in, uh, provided I maintain a certain GPA and take some academic courses and uh, absolutely do not study psychology. So I decided to pick English because I felt like that was easy for me. And then Mason has uh, just a, they, they had, and they still do have a fantastic faculty there. And I studied with really some of the best teachers in the nation. And, you know, it, it, it was natural for me, but it was, I realized how difficult it was. So when I graduated, um, I got a job uh, through a temp agency answering phones somewhere and I hated it. And writing became uh, an escape but then also, you know, sort of uh, the you know the idea began to form that I think I could write a book. So I started writing seriously in '97, and I didn't get published till probably 2013. So it, it took a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think those things do. I mean, did you immediately start writing thrillers? Was that your first? No, I, I wanted to write literary fiction. You know, I. I the, the professors I had, as, as you know, great as they were, uh, had a very uh, canon approach to, to literature, and that really influenced me. And I, I still love a lot of those writers, um, and I wanted to write like them, but I'm, I honestly wasn't smart enough <laughs> to write literary fiction. And, but the stuff that really that, that resonated with you know, people who, who liked what I wrote was the uh, sort of the, the criminal elements of it, which was always there. And then I began to read writers who it just sort of by accident, who were writing really good stuff, as good as literary fiction I'd read, um, but it was crime fiction. You know, people like uh, Megan Abbott or Lawrence Block, and I was, you know, uh, I was really amazed. And, and really, there's no limits on what... Um, what can be considered crime fiction and just isn't in the, you know, isn't considered that for, you know, reasons of either placement or categorization or what have you. Cool. And do you, when you're working on, especially like drafting a new book, do you read in that genre? Are you reading thrillers again, though there's great variety within that, or are you, do you have to like make an effort to read outside that genre while, because it's too, do you have to try to read outside of whatever might be sort of like what you're drafting or not? Do you not worry about that and you just read and write at the same time? Or do you not read at all when you're writing? <laughs> no, I wish, uh, 
since I primarily write novels and they take me a while, I'm not one of those writers who bangs it out in three or four months. Um, I wouldn't read it all if that was the case, but I don't get to read as much outside of my genre as I'd like. Um, it's really, you know, obligations sort of, or friends have books coming out and I want to read them or the, the book that, you know, a book that's really resonating with a lot of people. I want to check that out. So predominantly and, and honestly, almost, I don't know, for the past year or so exclusively, I've been reading crime fiction and I read it when I'm writing. Uh, I, I, I don't think it, influences me i know that can happen sometimes like what i worry about influencing me is if i'm reading something that i don't consider very good uh, yeah. you know and i i worry that you know when you when you read it you're you're if you continue reading it your standards sort of lower you start to accept the story because you want to finish it and i think that can be a very dangerous thing interesting <laughs> oh that is interesting yeah, I mean, I, I once saw a panel of um, a bunch of uh, best-selling authors, and they all admitted that they didn't have time to read. And I just thought, oh, I don't know if I want to be a writer if I can't read. Yeah. Yeah. That just seemed so depressing. <laughs> it seems so depressing yeah. to me. I've kind of thought about it sometimes. That concern has crossed my mind, like, oh, you know, I've a concern about being unduly influenced by something so like whatever I'm drafting. But at the end of the day, we all write with our own voices. I mean, it's just, it's still gonna It's going to be your own. And I totally appreciate your sensitivity to the um, quality that I can totally, I totally see that, that if it, if it's pretty crappy, writing like you know it's just canned writing that somebody wrote really swiftly in order to check a box it um does feel like it's a little bit um poisonous <laughs> i'm worried it's gonna rot something in my my writer brain whereas when it's well written no matter what the genre it feels like it's elevating my own work um, yeah right because you want to partially you you want to compete right you want to be good but it's also inspiring yeah you know, it's inspiring to read, to read really good stuff. And when I do, I want to write. And I, I don't necessarily, sometimes I do find that I'm, I'm really drawn to what this writer did, especially if it's particularly imaginative. And I want to try and capture something like that. And it deviates from the, the sort of confines of the world that I've been creating. But that's, that's, really rare uh, mostly if i'm reading something really good then i feel there's stuff i can also steal from it <laughs> yeah. are there um like older kind of classical um crime or thriller writers that you especially resonate with i the guy who really impressed me at first was a writer who's not necessarily considered crime fiction but uh nelson algren who was a writer in the 50s and wrote the man with the golden arm uh, that was made into a movie with frank sinatra uh, i think it won the very first national book award and his stories were really nowadays he'd be solidly in crime fiction but i really liked his his uh his writing um and i i, I would say him more than more than most. I mean, most writers will say, you know, either Hammett or Chandler or someone like that. Well, but... Lawrence Block is practically, I mean, he's, I mean, really he, he, he's been writing since, 
Um, I mean, he's had he had books in the fifties or sixties. Well, sixties yeah. definitely. But yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Before I mean, he's probably ninety. I think he's maybe eighty nine or something. I mean, he's really up there now. So he's definitely and he was writing under other a bunch of other names at the yeah. time too. So. Yeah. Uh, my my the funny story I have about um, Lawrence Block is a, a friend of mine, an artist, went to. Um, uh, I'm gonna forget which the name of it, but one of those. Um, uh, artist residencies like Yado or something and Lawrence Block was there I mean she's a she's an artist she's doing a painting or whatever she said the um she said all the writers at this um residency sat around and complained about how they weren't getting writing done and Lawrence Block wrote a book <laughs> an entire book like it was a two-week residence he just sat down and wrote a book yeah I <laughs> So speaking of writing under other names, Meredith and I have been talking about this. We've been so eager to hear your thinking. Whose name I, I mispronounced? Bars, not Barris. Right. I was, I, I, you know, and I said, you know, I just thought, well, what is the, what is the chance that I'll mispronounce this name that just was, inve- <laughs> just was invented? Unless you're going to tell me this was your like mom's maiden name or something. And we're time for our listeners. We're talking to Ed Amar, <laughs> who is also writing under the pseudonym E A Bars, and he writes under E A, which is, I think, not much of a pseudonym to take your initials. <laughs> and the other thing, Ed, I was going to say is uh, my experience when I first started in crime fiction was if a writer had initials and a last name, they were definitely a woman. <laughs> yeah. And occasionally two women. <laughs> and you don't fit either one of those categories. <laughs> because men, apparently, wouldn't buy books that women wrote. Right. So right. a lot of the, a lot of the initials, I'm not saying, I mean, I, there's probably lots of people who do initials, I don't know. But the, I, the, I would say that most of the people that I met who had initials were doing initials because they, like S.J. Roseanne. I hope I'm not I'm not breaking any news here to anybody, but <laughs> SJ what? is a woman. What? No, I can't read her anymore. No, I know that you are very supportive of women writers, so that's not you, but yeah. Yeah, I mean that was uh, E Annie Prox Prox Prue 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 E Annie Prue. Yeah, I mean she. When I think originally she had just EA because of uh, for that reason, and she wrote you know really hardcore westerns or western set books. Yeah. So uh, yeah, no, I um, for me I, I I write most of my stuff under EA Amar, and I do that because I don't like how Ed looks in print. That's the only reason I went with EA was because I I just I never liked the name Ed. I I don't. It just doesn't do anything for me. I feel like it's such a, a it nothing against my folks or my dad, who's also an Ed. <laughs> but it's you know I don't know. It, I always it, it's so unsexy. I felt like you know if I was an Eric, I probably would have like dated more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my my birth name's Edward though, but I know I know I can't pull that off. Why? I'm not an Edward though. You know that's way too sexy. I'm an Ed. <laughs> At the end of the day, you know your strengths, and Eduardo though is, you know, that's nah. I think Eduardo yeah. is. Mm, yeah, I think that's pretty good. That is something. That's I'm something. Yeah, you're not. Uh, but I went by. Um, so 
so I still write everything under EA Amar. The, and there were a couple of reasons I went with the pseudonym, but the, the one that's really s- struck with me is that, um, so my last book was The Unrepentant. It came out in 2019, and it was a book about, that was sort of based in the world of sex trafficking. And I did a lot of research on sex trafficking, and it, which always sounds really unseemly, but that's not the case. Um, and what I've, a lot of that research made its way into that book. And my research, you know, was, was fairly horrific. Um, the, the stuff I read and the people I talked to, the, the stories, um, it, it was really bleak. And that bled into the story. And as, as graphic as The Unrepentant was, um, I held back. You know, when, when people told me about it, I was... Yeah, I mean, well, the thing was, you know, a friend of mine, I remember a friend of mine asking me, you know, is it really that bad? And I was like, well, it's worse. I mean, yeah. every everything that happened, imagine everything that happened there, but happening to kids, you know, that's what I didn't do in the book. So I felt that, you know, I, I, I like that novel. I stand by it, but, and, 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 and it got, it was, you know, it was well-received, which was really nice. But it's something I, I want to disassociate from a little bit with this book because They're Gone is much more of a, a book club book. It's a commercial. And that, that was my goal. I wanted to see, I wanted to prove to myself really that I could write something that was commercial that took away from the, the graphic violent elements of, of the other book. That was still my book. It still felt like my book. But I really wanted to disassociate from it. And by the way, um, I did like, I grabbed your, because um, I used to work in marketing too. Um, I grabbed your little um, pitch line because I thought it was good. Two women's husbands are murdered on the same night in the same way and their investigation uncovers a terrifying connection. And that's, they're gone from Crooked Lane and that's November coming out. I thought that that did really sound like a book club book because I felt like that was, I felt like I, not that I know your story, but that I know enough of it to say, like, I want to read it. You know what I'm saying? Like oh, you, that's good. Oh, yeah. thank you. So it was a good, a really good pitch line. And I imagine that you wrote it. I think so. It may have, I may have had some help with, from that with my agent. You know, she's really good about that kind of stuff, too. Yeah. And I do, I work in marketing for my day job, but there's a big difference in marketing a, a known quantity like the company I work for versus me you know an unknown quantity (laughs) well I feel like it's hard to promote yourself um but I do I do remember the sensation so you know having enough background in promotions and I worked in television that um I felt like I I was a good writer I knew it my stuff and going to um St. Martin's um so uh, who is someone writing my summary and they said you know my my jacket copy and they're like oh do you want to write it and I had like 30 seconds where I was like oh my god I, I'm not qualified to do this but do I want them to do it I was like sure <laughs> so I wrote my jacket copy and and that was just my thing like okay well either you do it or they're gonna do it for you and I don't know how that's gonna turn out I've, I've been really um, willing, you know, uh, publishing has been uh, a, a learning experience in a lot of ways. You know, I, um, with The Unrepentant, um, 
it was hard to get into bookstores, not because of the book, but because the um, publisher's distribution deal with uh, Ingram. You know, nothing, nothing I knew anything about. Uh, with Crooked Lane, you know, I was more willing to, he was a bit bigger than the other publisher was. And I loved uh, the publisher for The Unrepentant, so that there's no shade there. I, Crooked Lane had a, um, has a, a bit more robust marketing presence. And I don't have any complaints so far. I mean, I, that's something I pay attention to uh, pretty closely, but they've, they've placed the book in great places. You know, it's Buzzfeed, all the major trades and stuff. And I, um, I, it's not stuff I could have done on my own. Um, so I've been, I've been really happy with them. Uh, so when it comes to stuff like that, I, I, I've had some, you know, I, every writer has concerns about their cover, about the presentation, but I also know I'm not the best. I, I don't, I don't understand the market for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I think it's, I think it's interesting. It's interesting that give and take with that. Um, I, hey, can, I also, we come back, can we come back to the question about your writing under a pseudonym? Yeah. I have more questions about it. So, yeah. so you decided to write under EA bars because mm-hmm. this book, is this the first book that you're writing under EA bars? Sorry. Yeah one that's coming out in November because it's so different from the books that you had written before. Yeah. And I also wanted, um, I wanted to be very transparent because I've tried to make a lot of inroads in writing, especially in the thriller community and the DC writing community. And, um, so I wanted, I don't want it to be a secret. You know, it's a very open thing it, in, on the book jacket on the, on the inside copy, it says, you know, EAAMR, um, you know, it, it, it's not, I'm not saying like, Hey, if, if you like me, you'll like this, this cool guy over here at ABA bars, you know, I, I want it to be very, anything I write where the books mentioned, you know, it's like his next novel coming out under a pseudonym EA bars, you know, it, there's no, yeah. Yeah. So in some ways I'm not sure why I did it <laughs> because it's very obvious. Well, so here's a question when you, when you switch to a pseudonym, does that then take people away from comparing it to your sales, for instance, of a previous book? Is that, I mean, but if you're open, I don't know how that does. That's the thing, right? I mean, you would assume so. And the, like I said, the unrepentant, especially for a smaller publisher did pretty good. Um, but I don't, um, and I guess there's a sense that if you use a pseudonym, you're presenting a brand new, brand new book and a brand new writer. Yeah. But because I'm so open about it, I have a feeling that if somebody, you know, like a bookstore uh, buyer goes on Google and does like a five second search. Yeah. My name will turn up. I mean, my website is EAMRBEX or slash EA bars. Right. So I don't think it helps with that as much as it does if you develop another pseudonym and keep it I've always had this so when I first started started getting interested in writing I had this idea that and I guess it's exactly what Laura Lippman's doing where I would write a series and I'd write standalones and I've never come up with a series that I like but one an idea that I like but one thing that this I wonder sometimes if this is pulling me in that direction where I'll have these two types of books that are extremely different 
but they'll be and they'll be under two names but people will know okay he's writing under amar that means we're getting this he's writing under bards that means we're getting this and i i really like that idea part of it is i really like pseudonyms I think it's because I'm a fan of rap and hip hop and everyone's got, you know, a cool rap name. You know, you're not Marshall Mathers, you're Eminem, you know, and I, I think I read a science fiction thing one time and they were like, no, not, not your real name, not your government name. What's your name? And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I'm not going by my government name. <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah. You know, I, 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 everyone, um, since my kid listens to a lot of rap, I have to say everyone has like Lil. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to be a little Ed. So you're not going to be a little Ed? <laughs> God, no. No, that, that doesn't ever... Baby Ed? What about Baby yeah, Ed? no. I, I don't get that, really. You don't get, don't the, get the baby idea. part? Yeah. Or little, really. But yeah. I'm always like, other... so are they sure? Like, I was. I have lots of questions. <laughs> I have lots of questions. question, <laughs> Meredith. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> the other thing that I haven't touched on with that is why I picked bars. And I, I picked it because I like the word, but also... I like it because it's vaguely ethnic, which is something I identify with, being vaguely ethnic. <laughs> Everyone's like, what? They want us to ask you, what, where are you from? <laughs> is it Spanish, Middle Eastern, Italian, you know? Well, I didn't know until I read your bio that your family was from Panama. Did Were you, you were born in Panama? Half my family, yeah. I was born in Panama. My mom's Panamanian and... Uh, my entire side of that family is there. And my dad's from Nevada, uh, Nevadanian. He's Nevadanian. Yeah. What, what language do they speak there? It's a mix of very broken Gamble? Language. Gambling? Yeah. <laughs> so when did you leave Panama? How old were you when you left? Three or four. Do you remember? Do you remember it there? Oh yeah, we go back. Um, I, I try to go back every two to three years. Um, that that's something I try to do more as an adult now, um, and especially now that I have a I have a six year old uh, son, and I want Panama to be something he's you know intimately familiar with. Um, I, I want it when he grows up. I want. I want him to, you know, be like, oh, we always went to Panama for some reason, you know. I, well, if I you have a family, if you have a lot of family there, I think it's a really, that's cool. My Spanish is so bad right now that I spoke Spanish and we moved here and my folks were like, well, you really need to learn English. So the, well, the, when I spoke, you know, they, I learned English and I've never been able to get my Spanish back. Yeah. Oh. I bet if you spent any concert, like chunk, get big chunk of time. Oh yeah, that that happens all the time. Even going for a week to Panama. Yeah. By the end, it's I can understand it. I can't quite speak it as well as I'd like, but it comes back so fast, faster than the stupid Duolingo lessons I'm doing. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, I'm uh, yeah. I know some people like Duolingo, but yeah, I'm not. Um, <laughs> well, I think it's um, I think. You know, I know um, talking about being the child of immigrants is always, you know, is, is now very political. But my father is from England and um, he never lost his accent. And I do have a theory that it the year that you come. So I think there's something in the teen years that like 
either you keep an accent or you lose an accent. I think three is like perfect to be like completely, you know, Panama. What? I can't even speak Spanish anymore. But my dad never lost his accent. And um, yeah. And, and also well, being, being a child of an immigrant is really interesting because they don't understand a lot of the stuff that, that Americans do. They're like, what's this SAT? My dad never understood why you had to memorize the states and capitals. Yeah, my, I, you're right. You know, you never really fully assimilate. You know, I, um, uh, my, mo- my mom, you know, has been here, you know, pretty much my entire life. And she's still, I mean, the accent's still there. The, the, the lack of comprehension about some, you know, things that people born in this country sort of accept uh, still escapes her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's hard. I think it's super hard super hard my mom has a whole funny story about my dad because they were they were both in graduate school at the time but he would say he he was doing some some test uh, maybe like US history, and he said tell me all the stories tell me all the stories you hear that aren't like ones from the book like and so he wanted to know like george washington cutting down the cherry tree like that's not in a history book because you right. know what it never happened but somehow we all know that when we go through the educational system <laughs> never be able to assimilate to England you know I would be like you know why do you call all your desserts pudding lorries <laughs> you know I it would be really hard for me to and I I've been to England and it would still be very I I remember I dated a British girl years and years ago when I was back when I was a boy and she was a girl and I never understood anything she said <laughs> <laughs> Do you find the Panamanian experience or your, um, you know, interactions with your folks coming into your fiction? Does it inform uh, your, do they inform your characters, your settings, perspectives? Not so much that I, I think what I've realized over the past really honestly over the past year and a half and a friend of mine uh, another writer sarah m chen who wrote a great novella cleaning up finn um she's a mixed child like i am and um she was raised similarly to the way i was which is sort of outside of your birth culture um and that isn't a voice that i felt was ever resonant important it was my voice but you know when people talk about writing from uh, cultural perspectives it's really entrenched in one culture you know you're writing about the black experience or the the, you know native american experience not the experience of someone who's in between those cultures and sort of the search to belong to to one or the other and, and not accepted by either not fully, you know. Um, so that that's really what I found. Even before I realized it wouldn't form my characters, they were always of mixed race, and it wasn't a conscious decision. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't something that I really thought a lot about. It just sort of happened. That is fascinating. I also think um, that what you're talking about, the outsider perspective, is like the perfect ingredients to become a writer. Because you're very observant. You have to observe, especially if you're trying to figure out, like, and you're not trying to not make a misstep, too. That's, you know, what you're, 
you said right there, I think that's really uh, poignant. And it's, it's one of the reasons I think that women tend to generally be better writers than men. You know, I, I think it's because they, they tend to be more observant just by nature. My wife can name everybody in a, in a restaurant, you know, and what they're wearing and, and what they're, what they're like, and if she likes them or not, for some reason, I, I can't do that. You know, I'm like, you know, I don't know, some guy in a blue shirt and the shirt was, you know, green. And also it was a dog, you know, like I, I'm really not observant with that, but it, I, I feel like, you know, the, the woman writers that I've read are so much better at pointing out those important little details and observing and noticing than, especially in crime fiction, the male writers who are more concerned, and this is an overly broad statement, but a lot of, you know, whom are concerned with, you know, more plot and propelling it forward and dumping information and about their research are talking about guns. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> more guns, more guns. Well, there was another thing I did want to talk to you about, and that this was just um, sort of to, this is probably actually me talking about my own um, stresses with this and the pull and the whatever, but um, there's a tendency, and then some writers probably don't do this at all, um, there's a tendency, and I see this in you, and I went through the same thing, where you end up volunteering for a lot of things. So they come to you and you're a newbie writer and they're like, would you like to be on the board? And you're like, oh, me? Oh, okay, that sounds awesome. And so then you're on this board and then they say, oh, can you, I don't know, run all of our events for us? Um, And on and on and on. And so I know that you have thought, I, I thought you had way more stuff going on than you could possibly do with writing and parenting. And, and I know that you've sort of pulled away from a few of those things but kept the things probably that you care about the most um so what is that process like for you the what are you getting what do you get out of volunteering in the writing community the different things that you do you're writing um you have a column you have a bunch of different things going on well that you know the act of helping people is is such of its own reward i'm just kidding i am doing it for myself <laughs> I, I i just wanted to see how that, i couldn't even finish saying that <laughs> you're just like uh and i can <laughs> no it's all about me um no there is something to be said for for helping people that is that is nice but i i would say that I wouldn't say everything I do is, you know, hopefully self-serving to an extent, but you know, I'm, I wouldn't be doing this. I don't think if I wanted a career in writing, you know, I, I, a lot of that stuff you hope like, okay, I'm going to volunteer my time. Yeah. I'm going to serve on ITW's board and I hope this helps down the road. And I would never, you know, I never tried to use those connections, which probably I should have, but, you know, it was something like, you know, you're hoping that, well, ideally this will help me later. Um, there's also the sense though, that especially with what I was doing in particular with the international thrower writers, you know, I worked a lot with debut writers and I, you know, my, my debut was, uh, it was a long time coming and it was tough and it was really rewarding to, to gen and I'm being serious about this to, to work with debuts. I like that a lot. I mean, it, it's such an overwhelming experience and so few of them are jerks that it, it was, so I made a lot of friends through that. Um, and I really loved, uh, ITW 
you know, I, they were an organization that accepted me, that welcomed me. I, I made my, my first friends in writing at Thriller Fest. I, um, my, my best friends in writing are still people I met through there. So there's something to be said for that. I also found though, the, the other thing, especially with the column and the other writing I'm doing, I, ne- I never thought I'd be prolific as a writer. It, it takes me about a year, year and a half to write a novel. But I ended up being much more prolific than a lot of my peers because I write nonfiction, I write short fiction, I, I do a lot of nonfiction in addition to my novels. Um, and I'd, I'd like to have a novel out a year if I could. And some of that is because, and you you, you know this, uh, writing is a long time coming with its reward. You know, I when I was first trying to get published between... 2003 when I had a finished manuscript in 2013 when I finally was I mean there was it was mostly rejection with you know some some moments some stories published some agent representation here or there but never the big the big deal you know and I found uh, I needed something else you know I needed something that proved to myself that hard work would lead to a reward I need these little intermittent you know you, you have the novel and if that's all you're doing, that's a long time to be a writer without anything else. I need little acceptances here and there or something I write to resonate or, or something to reach out to people. Um, and was that how the column started? Yeah, I mean, the column started really as a way because I wanted to, I didn't know anything about publishing or writing. And I kind of thought when my first book came out, it'd be like Moses walking with the, the commandment, you know, like, <laughs> and everyone would be waiting for me. And there was no one waiting for me. <laughs> when I got the yeah. yeah. So, you know, I read some columns and people were like, you should start writing columns to, you know, get your name out there. And this so, is decisions and revisions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which is with the Washington independent review of books. I wrote a guest column for them and the editor contacted me and said she liked it and asked if I'd write more for them. And then she asked if I want to be a regular contributor and I've done it ever since probably 2014 or so. So, and it, it, it feels sometimes like a lot because I'm like, you know what, it's not monthly at this point. It's like every six weeks, but I'm still, but I, I don't know. I, it, it, it flexes a different muscle and I need that. I never thought I could write anything but novels and then writing something outside of novels has it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of strength there. A lot of, you know, there, there's more you want to say that you can't say in a book. What I don't think people understand is that writing is very solitary. And so having a community is really great. Um, of people that you can, who are having similar experiences. Um, and I felt like that was, um, one of the first ones I had with Sisters in Crime was the Guppies. And it was a whole bunch of people trying to get published. And so people would say, like, you know, so you, you would get actually insight into things. You know, people would be going through the same thing that you were going through. And you felt like you were, you had a, you know, and then you could say, like, oh, my God, I got 10 rejections. Somebody cheer me up. Or you could say, oh, my God, I got a deal. And everyone would be like, yay, and cheer together. Yeah, I actually, you know, never did that and i it's something i think it's something i recommend now to aspiring writers is to you know find a community and i i was solitary i i 
like, you know, I, I said, I sat in my cave and, and wrote and I didn't talk to people. I just read and wrote and nobody knew I was writing even, um, aside from like, you know, whoever I was dating, that was probably it. Not even my friends, coworkers, parents, I don't think anyone knew, but, um, I, you know, I, I mean, you do it your way and it works for you and it eventually worked for me, but I think it would have helped a lot to, to have that, those other perspectives and, and, and to get insight from other people, especially when it came to publishing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but I, I do feel like you've built a community. I mean, I feel like you've got a lot of people, you know, in your corner and you are an incredibly generous, um, reader and promoter of your friend's work. I see you obviously on social media <laughs> and I think that goes a long way because I think there's a lot of people who get on to those certain things and they just want to talk about themselves and that gets old really fast for everybody else. I mean, maybe that's not old for them, obviously, but, um, I think, um, but it means a lot to people when you are a genuine fan and you are promoting someone's work. Well, it's a, it's such a, for me, it was really surprising because I mean, the other reason I didn't join a lot of groups was because I just hated other writers, you know, and, and all the people I knew were trying to get published and they were all depressed and <laughs> mad and full of, you know, angst. And I was like, I don't need, you know, these visual representations of me out here. And then once I got, you know, and you're also dealing with a lot of ego at every level. Um, but once I got published and met other writers, I met people who had taken it really seriously. I, I felt, you know, and, 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 and a lot of people who weirdly had my same perspectives on things, you know, my same point of views. It was, you know, whether it was even politically, emotionally, you know, I, 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 I had no idea I'd vibe as much with, writers especially crime fiction writers as i as i did well i mean and then the surprise is crime fiction writers are some of the nicest people and say we get it out on the page we kill all these people and then we're like hey how are (laughs) you it's all gone it's all gone well i um thank you so much for joining us tonight i feel like i could talk to you for another 10 hours um Hopefully oh, we'll, be, we'll be back in a bar sometime. And I'm super excited for your book. They're gone. Um, just coming soon. EA bars. Yeah, yeah, that's it. The best pseudonym ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, this was great. I appreciate it so much. Meredith. I think yeah. And it's so it awesome. Really it's always nice to meet you. Likewise. Thank you, Ed. Well, it was really, really terrific um, to catch up with Ed and hear what he's up to. Um, he is, uh, he minimizes the amount that he does in the community, but he is, he is such a good um, advocate for so many other writers. And he's really the first to step out and say, I read their book. It was terrific. And that kind of thing. And, and I, and he's sincere. He's not pushing books that he doesn't care about. But I, I think it's super important. And um, and I, if you go on his site or you go on Amazon, all the quotes are from, you know, people who have become his dear friends. I think it's a very warm community. 
and yeah, pe- and you're attracted to people whose writing you like as well, and they and if they like your writing, you know, I think it yeah. really comes through. So. Yeah, just the little bit that I got to know him during the course of our conversation. It's easy for me to imagine that yeah. such a warm guy, and oh, so delightful. I just loved also hearing his writing journey and. Um, fascinating this decision to to take a pseudonym in the way that he did and the ways he's managing that I think is really interesting but yeah it was an interesting choice and and you were you were talking a little bit just before you know earlier about some of the issues with pseudonyms and 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 you know I think that something that it is worth thinking about is if someone knows you like he's built all this uh, street cred around his name so people yeah. all know him now you're doing a pseudonym so do you lose that he's trying to tie it together but have it separate yeah it sounds like it sounds like people who are familiar with his writing and really like it can still find him with this pseudonym quite easily but also I thought it was interesting how he mentioned that his website is or he shows on the website um, both names on the same website. And so he's wonderful. on his Amazon page as well. It's, it has his name and the other name. I, I think it's almost like sort of saying this is a different flavor. Yeah. So, like, I, I, it was funny. I almost brought it up, but then I thought, um, Nora Roberts. Nora Roberts is obviously a best-selling romance writer, and yes. she writes a mystery, a science fiction a futuristic mystery series under J.D. Robb. But she doesn't hide the fact that it's her. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's kind of a way to flag to readers what it is that they're going to be Right, so if you like the futuristic mystery series and you look for that name, and if you like her romances, then you look for Nora Roberts. I I thought this was a very interesting idea, Um, definitely. Um, the, The weirdest thing about pseudonyms, for me is that when I meet a writer that I haven't seen in a while and I think that I know them but I look at their name tag at a, at a <laughs> writing conference and it's not a name that I'm familiar with and then they go oh no no wait it's Debbie and I'm like oh it's your pseudonym <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I call it early onset writer dementia because it's like you really you're like I, I think I know who this person is, but that's not the name I would associate with them. Yeah, well, it was really great to talk with him, and I'm excited to see his book. So coming out soon for us. Yeah, um, yeah, November. in November, and um, and I think he's going to do lots of other interesting things. I've, I really have enjoyed his short fiction as well. Um, yeah, and, and I think it's one of those writers too. And I was thinking about that when he was talking. He has such a strong voice. And yeah. that really comes through in, in the writing that I've, I've read of his. And I haven't read this new book, but I'm thinking it's probably more of the same. So, And the new book's title, They're Gone. So thanks for you listeners for joining us. And next month we have... Robin Farmer. So excited to talk with her about her forthcoming novel. For her, it is a debut, Malcolm and Me. Um, it is so much fun. I'm reading um, so one of the advanced copies right now, and oh my goodness, talk about an in- engaging voice. I just am so excited to talk with her about that book. The Malcolm is um, Malcolm X, 
Um, the me is the voice of the narrator, a young woman who encounters his writing and finds a lot to connect with in that. So exciting to have Robin Farmer on with us uh, next. Next. Great. That'll be terrific. Spend time with you, Mary. Yes. And I hope more good writing news comes your way. And And you, good luck with the kitchen. Think good vibey thoughts for my kitchen as we progress. And uh, I will talk to you next time. All right. Bye for now. Bye for now.